Vernomatic Productions. Hey, this is Bobby Gustafson, and you're listening to the Metal Mayhem ROC with John the Vernomatic Verno and Metal Walt. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music, interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno. And direct from New Jersey, Metal Walt. Good evening, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well as we pivot into our favorite month of the year, Metal March. As always, new content drops every Thursday night. Tonight, we got a fun one. We welcome Bobby Gustafson, the original and only guitarist of Overkill. He's here tonight to talk about uh, what he's doing in 2023, uh, the Behind the Satan's Taint Project, why he loved violence, and just general metal discussion. We even cover his 20 years in the plumbing business in South Florida. So it's a well-rounded interview. Metal Walt will be joining me for that in just a minute. But first, want to remind you to get up to the website, metalmayhemroc.com, sign up for our newsletter. Now, when I encourage you to sign up for the newsletter, it's for many reasons. One, it's a way for us to alert you on new shows, uh, our Monday night radio show, any contests or giveaways we're doing. But also, you know, Mark Zagati, our staff re- reviewer, every week or two, he's uh, putting new CD reviews up on the website. This past week, he has a review of the new Stargazer release. So go up there, check it out while you're there. Download some past shows. Last week, we had Steve Riley from Riley's L.A. Guns. We had uh, Jesse Fink, the author of the book, Bond, The Last Highway. Robin McCauley and Graham Bonnet had a double episode and our continued series, History of Metal. So that's all up at the website. Do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review. That stuff really does help. So that's what we got going on. Let's get into tonight. Bobby Gustafson, original guitarist of Overkill. I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Our guest today was born in Staten Island, spent his teenage years in the gutters of New York, auditioning for bands, getting gigs at 17, and spending the better portion of the last 40 years writing, performing, and producing heavy metal music. Let's welcome to Metal Mayhem ROC, Bobby Gustafson. Hey, Bob, how are you, man? Good, man. How are you? We're doing well. I'd like to introduce you to my uh, co-pilot in this metal crusade. He goes by the name Metal Walt. Jersey Walt. Hey, Bobby, it's uh, it's a pleasure, man. Uh, looking forward to this discussion, man. And we go back in our roots, back to the tri-state area. You're a Florida guy now, but uh, you know the stopping grounds where I am, man. We've been born on the same soil. How long have you been down in Florida? I moved here permanently in 96, so I've been here a while. Yeah, I can see from your background, you're uh, uh, a blue and red fan, Giants, pinball machines. Uh- yeah, I still still got all my giant stuff. Kind of my my sports slash music room. Well, before you get into your teaser, I just have a question. A guy on our on our team, 
lives in uh, Indian Harbor Beach, Florida, down in Melbourne. Are you anywhere close to there? Uh, Melbourne's about an hour, an hour north. Okay, well, he uh, owns a restaurant there, Frankie's Beachside. He says it's on the Space Coast, better known as the (laughs) East Coast. Uh, He says, uh, come on up, we got uh, heavy metal beers for you and some uh, kick-ass chicken wings. Yeah, there's uh, there's some clubs around up up there. I know I've been up there a couple times to uh, see my friend's band play and, and stuff, so... Bobby, before we get into the whole music side of thing, I always like to have a nice, cool icebreaker, right? So I was reading up on there that you might be in the family plumbing business, or at least were. So I got a 17, well, 18-year-old son in uh, in plumbing Botech in Jersey. So he wanted to know, he wanted to know back in the day when you played at all those shitty clubs in the tri-state area and people are pissing all over the floor and it's overflowing and your sneakers are getting wet. What's the trick of the trade to get those urinals and toilets unclogged? Unclogged? Uh, oh, I hate the one, the, probably the one fixture I hated the most was the urinal because they effing stink. I can't stand them. Um, but lucky, lucky enough being down here, I worked in Palm Beach a lot. So you're talking, you know, multi-million dollar houses. So it wasn't, you know, pretty much the cream of the crop. But I mean, it, you know, if it's clogged, just get a snake, man. Get one of those augers. Don't use so much paper. <laughs> All right. So Bobby's in Florida. Bob, what is going on? I mean, we could we'll touch on the overkill stuff. That's, you know, but we're here to talk about 2023. So uh, you're done with the violence gig. Uh, what's, yeah. what's going on in the music front with you? Well, I'm, I got a, I got a couple things going on. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty much constantly writing. I had a bunch of stuff that I was gonna use or at least offer to violence to see if it had fit. Um, and I kind of I just kind of dropped all of it. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to really use it outside of. Of violence, so I started writing new songs rather than do another Satan's Tate album right away. I wanted to try and start another band, so I'm, I'm I've got guys already. I'm just trying to get the best possible songs. I mean, I'm I'm going through like this is the most I've ever written. I probably have like thirty songs that I'm trying to organize and make them you know different. Get all the A list type stuff, and then once that's ready. You know, I'll, I'll get the guys together and we'll, we'll try and put something out. Um, other than that, I've got something happening that's a little premature. I can't really say yet, mm-hmm. but hopefully I'll be back in Europe this summer and I'll probably hopefully be able to announce it in a couple months. When we read the press release on the departure of violence, um, basically reading between the lines, I'm starting to get the feeling that you're in Florida and they're on the West coast and it just wasn't working. Yeah, it was hard. And, and you know, with the economy, the way it was, everything started to get more expensive. I mean, the flights had, had, had doubled since I first started going out there in, in 2020 and, uh, to go back and forth mm-hmm. was, you know, it was a, it was a strain on me, but you know, there's a strain on on the band as well to try and keep themselves going. You know, you can't be selfish and, and, you know, be the only one they're wasting money on like that. But, you know, they wanted somebody with a name and, and they asked me to do it. And I was like, yeah, this would be great. So, uh, 
you know, it just got to be where it's it's so expensive, um, and it's affecting every every band basically between you know diesel for the bus, hotel rooms, flying to Europe. I'm hearing now that they're taking a lot in Europe. They're taking money from your T-shirts. They are taxing those bands that leave Europe to try and come here to play. So it's just everyone's got their hands in your pockets. It's like so hard to make anything. So it is what it is. I, you know, there's no hard feelings or nothing. And uh, it's just move on. Yeah, we heard we heard about that. Uh, I don't know, John, what was it? Maybe six months ago, we were talking to Frank Bella from Anthrax. Yep. And uh, it, it was just, they were doing their second run, the summer tour. And shortly after that, they had to cancel their tour of the UK for yeah. those exact reasons that you're describing. It was just too expensive to be over yeah. there. Yeah, it just it just becomes like, you know, it's not cost effective anymore. It's like, are you doing it to doing it or are you doing it to make a living? Because, you know, you still have bil- bills to pay at home. So you've got to make something. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's the worst. The worst part of it is is really the gas and, and the, those buses and everything over there is diesel. And that just like went through the roof. Yeah, it was Mike Michael Street yeah. of Striper. He told us the story uh, about they actually canceled the tour because they couldn't get a bus. It's it's hard too, yeah. Because I heard horror stories when I was over there during the summer because all the bands, if you were on tour or you went over there for the festivals and did a couple other shows, um, there were no buses available. I was talking to the guys in Exodus, and they were like on their third bus. They kept breaking down. One half of the bus had air conditioning and the other half didn't. And it's like, this is all we got. So you've got to take it. And I mean, last year was very hot over there. So that probably sucked. But I mean, the the thing is, is that record sales aren't what they used to be. So you're not making money that way. So all the bands right now, the only way to survive is to go out on the road and stay out on the road. I mean, there are just so many bands and there's so many bands playing. It's like, Sooner or later, the money's going to run out. You know, people people can't keep going to every single show. Exactly. Hey, Bobby, you talked about your uh, let's say your new music. You're gonna you're putting a band together. Maybe add a little color to that. Like, um, I mean, like what's the Florida scene down there? I mean, I know you got bands like uh, I think Obituaries located in Florida. You know, Sabotage has the roots. John Oliva. I mean, we haven't heard from him in quite a while. So are you assembling like, uh, you know, let's say seasoned musicians, you trying to get a band together with guys from that area, get out on the road and that kind of thing. Like what's going to make this one a little bit different than let's say the Satan's Taint band. Yeah. I would, I would always like to play with that people that, you know, have been in the business and, and now a lot of musicians are in multiple bands. Mm-hmm. So it's not taboo to take somebody who's not on tour and, and have them join your band. So I mean, I've been yeah. friends with Mike Borders, the bass player from Massacre, for for years. I mean, he lived down towards Lauderdale, and I knew him ever since I came here. Um, a lot of those bands are in in Tampa, and um, becoming friendly with with everyone around here. I mean, I've been down here for so long, but yeah, I, I wouldn't mind getting that, you know, getting other people that have a name. But uh, still, I'd like to help help the people like with Satan's Taint, help people that really are just trying to break in the business and have no way of, of, of getting in. But yeah, I mean, that's, that seems to be the cool thing now is just get, get guys with a name because it helps. It helps with the ticket sales. Yeah. What What is, you've probably been asked this question a million times, but man, 
Satan's Taint. Like, how'd you come up with that name, man? I I, I, I just chuckle every single time I, I, I think about that. We're down here and it's it's just always so hot. And I was trying to think of someplace hotter. And I, I you know, I'm like, I'm I'm picturing Satan sitting down on the on a fucking throne made out of stone. And like the hottest thing in the world's gotta be his fucking taint. So I was like, Satan's taint, you know. And I mean back then I was like I just it it was funny, but people kind of lost their sense of humor. Like from 2019, 2018 on, things started to change, and I thought I would get away with a funny name. Some people got it. Some people hated it. The majority of people who hated it were people in the, in the business. So I kind of got like a black mark with that. And, you know, I really didn't get picked up to do anything. So I, to me, that's just a fun project. I'll probably do another album. But this new project, I'm trying to be a little bit more, I don't know, how could you say mainstream, maybe as far as the name. You know, I still think it's funny, but and it's hysterical. It's actually hysterical, and it, you know, it's almost like it. You know, it's tongue in cheek, but then in reality, you're like, oh, "What was he getting at with that? Is it like, you know, like hell is like, you know, it's it's the worst place on earth, and it's as bad as like it's it's really is bad if you go to hell, and you get you're like you're sitting up the anus of of Satan. <laughs> it's that bad. And I, I had one person actually thought that way, and they thought, well. You know, Satan is so bad. What would what would taint him? And I'm like, no, I'm not talking about that. I said, I'm talking about the real taint. And uh, it, it was just too funny. I I had a guy from England. I wish I would have thought of this name. He called it um, Satan's Chin Rest. Yeah, I said that's that's almost a better name. But yeah, hey, uh, like seeing in Florida, you you get over to um, I think Orlando. Paul Merkowitz is from Cannibal Corpse. His new side band, Embellicus. You're familiar with that? I haven't. I haven't heard that. I'm about two hours from there. Yeah. Um, Paul and some of the guys from Deicide. They they played in this Southern Kale. Our correspondent down in Melbourne does work with us. He went to the show and was hanging out with them. And uh, it's a. It's not like Cannibal. It's more rock and roll, if you will. So when you're oh, right. yeah, you're talking these side projects. You know, there's still a lot of musicians between. I think probably more up in, in, in the Tampa or Orlando area. Um, the only, I think, sucky thing down here is there isn't as many places to play mm-hmm. as as there was like in Jersey and the New York area. I mean, you can go around on the circuit for a month and play a different, different place down here. You might have, you know, there's one club in Miami, one club up here, like around West Palm and, you know, a club or two up in, in that area. But, um, yeah, I just haven't looked up with any of uh, any of those guys north of here, but you know we all kind of know each other. How much do you keep in touch with the old the old school guys? Like you know the guys uh, Elson and Jeff Young. Now they're doing um, Kings of Thrash Kings or of something. Thrash. Yeah, what, what do you think about that? Um, I I just like the Pantera thing. I try not to judge because I realize that. A musician has to really go out and play right now mm-hmm. to make any sort of money, you know, to stay alive. And, and you know, a lot of people were down on even his band. I mean, it's a small band. You know, the guy just wants to play. I'm probably not going to shake his hand anytime soon. But, um, you know, let him go out and play. Yeah. I, last night, I, I wrote something for his book, and I think the last time I had seen him was maybe down at Nico 
Brains restaurant. He had coffee or something he was trying to sell. But, you know, wish everybody luck. Because, you know, there's just so many bands out there. Just Nichols? R- rock and Roll Rebs? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, was there- yeah, he just went uh, in December. He had his party. I'm probably going to go in a couple weeks again. Oh, were you down there when uh, Ripper was playing? Yeah. Yeah, that's like the second year in a row he's he's come down. Yeah, it's a great joint. I was there in December myself. Oh, were you? Yeah, I was down there for a football game, and, you know, we were, we, we went in there. and um, cool joint. Yeah, that's a little thing that he does every year, kind of blown up. You know, I have a listener uh, question. Um, Brian Hines of Rochester says, hey, Sainan's taint is great. Can you ask Bobby if he's ever been asked to join big name bands after he was out of overkill outside of the obvious Megadeth or the uh, Chance Metallica? Any other bands ask you, like try to court you, if you will? Um, yeah, I think one of the one of the first bands to ask me to play was Propane. Okay. Which I look back at it now, I probably I would have fit in there with them very well. But I was a little afraid of 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 joining something with Billy Milano, and he was the singer at the time. So oddly enough, I don't join Propane, but then I go with with Billy Milano to California to do something with Perry Strickland that fell apart in like in two weeks, and he went back to New York, and I stayed out there. Um, that was probably the first. Um, I think even even uh, Dark Angel had asked from LA mm-hmm. a few years back if I was going to play. But at that point, like I didn't think I can go back and forth to LA and, and still work, you know? So I didn't know how that was going to be to, to uh, join that band. Why were you afraid uh, to play with uh, Billy Milano? Oh, uh, he's just over the top. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You got to know that by now. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I was just uh, picking at you. Find out because uh, some <laughs> PC incident would happen or you would drink for six days straight that you're not used to or just all we, of it. We, great. But, uh, you know, he just went out there and either something happened with, with Johnny and uh, he just like, I'm leaving. Just dropped everything. We drove all the way out there. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you know a little erratic on on some some things. He, he was a guy I, I, I only saw SOD one time at Maxwell's in Hoboken and it was one of the most bizarro shows I've ever seen. He was just walking all over the place, in and out of the bar, the main part, up top, you know, 150% energy all the time. I'm sure, cool guy and all, but you could probably only keep that to certain amount of limits. You know, it would get exhausting. I don't think he ever sleeps. And he, he, I've watched him drink a pot of coffee. Like every day he drinks a pot of coffee. So he's just wound up all day. Yeah, we did a little tour with, with, with Overkill and SOD, like City Gardens and, and Rising... Yeah. Gone or whatever, and yeah, we did a bunch, bunch of shows with them uh, in the early, early days. I saw SOD up here in Rochester. Remember the Penny Arcade, Bob? You guys ripped, yes. ripped that place apart a few times. But this was in '98 or '99. It was a very odd, like four-off kind of little um, tour they did, and they uh, huh. it was like August. It was. It's right when I was getting married. It was like 97, 98, somewhere around then. I remember it was hot as hell, and it was it was awesome because, you know. It, was- it would have it been nice for them to, 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 like, sit down and get another studio album out. I mean, 
I don't yeah. think. Well, you know, they'll do what they want to do, but I don't know if some of those those uh, themes on some of those songs would work too well. No, oh, talk about politically correctness. That'll never fly. Yeah, that'll fly <laughs> today. But you know, they 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 definitely they made they made their mark when that album came out. So that was pretty cool. Hey, I think we have some mutual friends. Uh, two guys, uh, Frank Wright and Alan Teccio. They have this kick-ass book out, uh, Jersey uh, Metal. Yeah, I've heard about that. Okay, well, you're going to see about it because I'm going to sk- share a shot for you that I uh, dug out for you, and I need your comment on this. Let me see if my tech is working. Here we go. Can you see this, Bob? We used to take pictures in the early days down in Dini's basement. That was his basement. The brick wall, that showed up in a couple other places. Um, Dee's bedroom was like right behind the overkill sign. Um, that was very, very early in the in the band. I had just joined. There was another guitar player for about two weeks. He quit. Um, there was a, the other guitar player between Rat and Blitz. Um... Rich Conti or Mike Sherry? No, those were gone. This guy was Mike something, but he kept, he went under two different names. Uh-huh. He was a little out there, but I used to play with him in the band on Staten Island called Riff Raff. I mean, we were only together for a short time. We never played out. Mm-hmm. But um, we, that rat's girlfriend, Lori, used to take the pictures of us down the basement. And then he just kind of freaked out on us one day, too, and like wouldn't pick up the phone. And um, I kind of said, hey, I could do this myself. Why We don't even need another guitar player. It's just another person who's going to be a problem. So pretty much shortly after that was when we became the four-piece. Do you recall? Did you ever have a friend relationship with Frank or Alan Tuccio? Al, Alan, well, he was the, the singer, right? Yeah, Alan, Alan yeah. was the uh, singer of Hades. Yeah, I mean, they used, they used to play with Overkill uh, in the early days. Tell you, Bob, it's a, it's a great book. Uh, you know, Frank White obviously is a legendary photographer for up in that in that scene, and it really paints paints the picture of what it was like. At, you know, when the when the when sort of metal scene formed in the late seventies. So, like, before we get into some of the overkill stuff, talk about like your impressions of those the scene back then, like the the Old Bridge Metal Militia. Um, you know, like the upbringing in the, in the early 80s. You know, you have places like I mentioned it earlier, Club Binet, you know, the Birchill Nightclub, uh, Studio One, of course, Lamore. Tell us about your life experiences in, in that era. Yeah, we, we, used, we used to play a place called Union Jacks a lot. And then when we played Mingles with Testament, before we went out on tour, that was like a, that was like a disco almost. Mm-hmm. We got into like a huge brawl with the bouncers. I think they tried to put cat uh, sugar in the gas tank of our van. Luckily, I saw that the next morning, and we started the van up. Um, oh man, we I didn't go to the early early stuff because I was I was really young. I think I just have gotten my driver's license pretty much. It was like seventeen ish, eighteen, and. uh I didn't really get out there that much other than our shows, but we became friends with uh, the Old Bridge guys, and they had come up to the show place in Dover. I did the first 
Overkill show in 83, August of 83, right out of high school. And then Johnny came up. They, the guys from Old Bridge told him to come up and see us. Like, you got to see this band. And it was like a huge snowstorm. There was nobody there. It was kind of a, a, a real crappy show. I think it was January of 84. Um, and then he wound up seeing us in October, opening up for Anvil, and he wound up signing us. But we also did a bunch of shows in the very early days. We opened for Metallica up in uh, Port Jervis, mm-hmm. right up in the corner there. Um, there was a place on Staten Island called the Rock yep. Palace we used to play. And, and then we, eventually we got into uh, Lemoore's. And, and, and that just started to steamroll. I think the very first show might have been like a Wasp, a Wasp show on a Sunday. They had a matinee show. And they wanted to check us out because they haven't really heard of us before. And I think we opened up for Wasp on a Sunday afternoon. And then slowly we got in and 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 did more shows. And then Lamores pretty much became, you know, our backyard. The guys who owned it wound up managing us. Um the old Ritz, we used to play a lot. Um But we weren't we really weren't mm-hmm. in the scene that long. I mean, we were we we're we went from August 83 being our first show to October of 84 being signed. Yeah. I was going to I was going to say that you guys you didn't you know grind it that much cuz you know two, no. two three years later you're opening for Slayer um you know Raining Blood tour you guys were um getting those gigs. Let me ask you on those matinee shows cuz that used to happen up here. We used to have the uh, Penny Arcade afternoon shows on Sunday afternoons. Was that because of the age barrier, you think? Because the kids, you know, I was 15. You know, I'm not going to any night show. I'm not getting in any bars. Yeah. I think they had, I think Wasp played maybe the, the Saturday or maybe even both Friday and Saturday the night before. But they, you know, to do an all-age show, which Lamar never did really a lot of those, but they, they wanted to do like a Sunday matinee to see if the younger kids would, would come in. And I remember it being a pretty good show, mm-hmm. but that was that wasn't really uh, there wasn't like a a lot of those. I don't remember doing a bunch of those. I remember doing the real real theater with Slayer's first East Coast show, Halloween of '84, the real theater on on uh, Long Island. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, we 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 had some shows. We would we would definitely play almost every weekend. During that time, or every other weekend, did you keep it on the East Coast, or did you venture? No, no, we went all over. We uh, we would go with Nuclear Assault actually, and we we uh would go play Baltimore, and Washington, uh, Philly. I remember we drove up once and did a show in Boston. So we we knew that we needed to mm-hmm. expand, and you had all those major cities really close to you. So we took advantage of that and, you know, that really helped us grow a lot faster. You've got like five major cities in three, four hour driving distance. So we booked ourselves in in other places. Well, when Overkill was pivoting in like 83, 84, 85, that golden age was exploding. That was, um, I'm a little older than Walt. And so I was in that demo. He's three or four years mm. younger than I, so he caught on with the 87, 88 era. But you're right. That, um, 
nuclear assault. Danny Lilker is from our hometown. Yep. You know, what are some of these tours you were digging back then? Anything? Any bands you really like playing with? Any memorable non-New York shows? Any memories of Rochester? If we're talking about the Rock. Yeah, we used to do uh, hang out, Kate, and then there was a club in Syracuse. We used to play Lost Horizon. Lost Horizon. Yep. Um. Yeah, I mean, some of the some of the the earliest tour. Well, we we, we did Anthrax in Europe, the Metal Hammer shows, and then our managers wound up um, helping out Slayer because they got stuck. They needed some cash to get back home. And they repaid them by taking us out on tour. So we got those Slayer tours. We did the Slayer and then we did Slayer Motorhead. And then we actually did a, a Slayer in Europe. So, uh, I mean, th- all those early shows, you didn't realize how iconic they were. Yeah. When you, you know, we were actually out in Ohio. We had a day off and Metallica had just started their Injustice for All tour. And the very first show was in Dayton or Toledo. We were in Dayton and we drove to Toledo to see their first show with the with the uh, the statue and the whole thing. That, I mean, that was pretty cool. But um, yeah, man, that was a great one. Megadeth was was a great one. That was six weeks. We did Halloween in Europe for like two months. You know, other than you know our headlining shows. Hey, Bobby, you know, I always, I'm fascinated because John's right. Oh. I, I missed a boat by about five years. You know, I'm 52, but a five-year window, I missed out. And I think back like, well, this will break your heart. I've actually seen Overkill 22 times, but mm-hmm. never with you in the band because I missed it for that window. And uh, I just think of like, you know, I mean, you you played in and wrote on yeah. their most formidable years, and the albums they'll always be remembered for. Feel the fire taking over under the influence, and of course, Years of Decay, which I love. But um, that bring us to that five year period because yeah, you know, I mean, there's like there's so much great material on those albums. I mean, it's it's so different back then from what there is now. Um, one of the things I hated that I always think back on is that how rushed we were to write the next album. We were always like, we just had something out toward a little bit right after it would come out. And they're like, okay, it's dead time to go do an, another one. I like to now to sit on songs for a little bit. Cause there probably wouldn't have been a couple of songs that they left off from those days and maybe wrote something else instead. Um, but to write, those four albums as quickly, you know, as, as, as we did, um, was just amazing. And, and back then it was, you had the, the tape, two inch tape. You didn't really, uh, it wasn't in sections and pieces like they are today. I mean, literally your drummer pretty much had to play a, a good take so you could save it. So you didn't punch in cause you, on the drums, you, tell, yeah. you just can't do that. And, um, it was hard on, on Rat. Rat was a good drummer live, but in the studio, it was really hard for him, uh, tempo-wise, to stay steady. And, and you know, it was a nightmare playing the songs like over and over and over. I mean, by the time I played guitar with him just to get the drums, you know, Dee Dee would whip through his bass tracks because it's one take, 
you know, on the bass and you're going to save it. But then for me, it's like I'm doing my rhythms. And I did four rhythms and then I'd have to play the lead on over that. So me and Blitz would switch off. But yeah, the first two we did up in, in uh, Ithaca at Pyramid and we stayed up there about six weeks. And then the third album we recorded up there, but we wanted like the new automated boards of the computers started taking over the boards and it was a lot easier to mix and things were just better. So we went out to California. We used uh, Michael Wagner who did Master of Puppets and I think a Megadeth and maybe even like a White Lion album and stuff. So we hooked up with him. Ozzy was in the next studio. You know, we were in B, he was in A and he was doing, um, I think it was No Rest for the Wicked album. And uh, that just turned us on to that new way of recording. So by the fourth album, we went to Connecticut and we went and just recorded the whole new, new school way with the automated board up, up in Connecticut. And uh, that's when we had Terry Date. And uh, he hit a home run with that one. I finally got the sound that I wanted. Um, we said guitars. Guitars first. Everything else fits around it because guitars usually, like, to me, suffered on the first three. And uh, he said, sure, that's no problem. So he went and did that that way. And, and that wound up being a, a, our best sounding and probably selling album. What about some of those early videos you guys were doing with the like, uh, the, the bat and all that? What was that about? That was, we picked uh, at, <laughs> in Yonkers or Westchester. There was some theater. We did the In Union We Stand video. Uh-huh. And I, I, I think it, did Headbangers Ball start already? I think it just didn't start it. Pretty much the same time. Yeah, because we got we got played every weekend because there wasn't enough fans that had, you know, a thirty thousand dollar budget to make a video. I mean, that's crazy money even back then to do that. But it wound up we just became, you know, the weekend band at, at Headbangers Ball. So that I mean that was killer. I mean, I was like 12 hours of just playing the same song over and over and over. Um, yeah. Then we did uh, then we did um, Hello from the Gutter. I think we were on tour. We found a club in Manhattan. We recorded that. Um, they wanted to do later on. I don't know if you remember, there was something called Smash or Trash, and they were going to play it during the day if it was a smash. We got more votes than any other band. And they wouldn't play it during the day. Really? Yeah. Then why have the then why have the fucking contest? And, yep. MTV just totally lied. Totally took us. They're like, we can't play this during the day. What are you kidding me? They're like, there's nothing vulgar about it. You know, there's no cursing in there. And and they just would not do it. So we got got a little screwed on that. Then they, you know, all up from the better got tons of uh airplay headbangers were still interviews. And then uh, the last one was Elimination. I think we did that in a, a studio in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And um, same thing. That got that was up there like every weekend. You know, re recently we, we spoke with Steve Riley of LA of Riley's LA Guns. And, you know, that band's going through that heavy metal divorce. There's, now you have two versions of LA Guns. But the one thing Steve said, I'm paraphrasing, he's like, listen, we're getting older and... You know, I've played with a lot of bands. I wish these guys nothing but the best of luck. You know, we did a lot of good shit together. 
I'm not, I don't want to get into all the politics of why you left uh, Overkill, but has there been any communication with the guys? Rat, well, Rat's out of it, but like Dee Dee or Bobby? Um, I, I talked to Rat a while back. I think he did that Get Thrashed um, home video or something, and he wound up like just cutting me completely out of the interview. I mean, I was, he, we both answered the same question and he just like completely took me out. I, all my answers were better than his and I didn't even want to hardly being in there other than them just being seen. So I kind of haven't talked to him ever, ever since that, his little born in the basement thing where he took credit for, for just about everything. Um, so I don't really talk to him. I mean, the last time I had talked to Blitz and Didi, I haven't talked to Didi at all, but Blitz, I had talked to him probably like 20 years ago, but they just, they just continue to, to like take money, you know, but if I don't find out about something, they're taking money from it. There's like, when I did the Megaforce, um, released the second, uh, Saints Tain album, I had signed up for sound exchange that does all the digital and both of those guys were, were taking 50% each of my songs. I didn't even know that you had to sign up for that. I thought it was something completely different on BMI, but it's not, it's its own company. And I lost out on probably like over 20 grand. So there's, they're just, they continue it's, just to show even now at their, at their age that they've never, they've never matured. Everything is money with them. It was back then, and it still is now. So I really it's, don't want to waste, you know, my time or my talents with someone like that. You know, it's yeah, it's too bad because you know I I, I still follow the band. I still enjoy what they do. But you know, we have tons of respect for you, and you know, you're 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 old school. We grew up with you, and that's why Walt and I we wanted to reach out to you. We're like, fuck Bobby, Bobby G man. He's our boy. You know? Yeah. I mean, we were, we were there in the beginning. We were there in the start. You know, we, we had already, you know, started the same time as everyone else was. We just had to wait before we got into that, that studio to go record. Cause there was a bunch of people before us. We had like the SOD project came up and there was TT quick and Anthony, oh. and we had to wait before we went in pyramid. So we almost wasted an entire year before we went in to do the first album. So it made us seem a little bit farther back than most of the bands. But uh, yeah, we were we were right there. You know, we 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 definitely made some history on those first four. Yeah. Well, um, got anything uh, run by Bobby before we let him go? Nah, just a remark to what you said, Bobby. It's uh, it's just you know such. Such evidence that as uh, somebody outside of being the musician and that, of course, we all look at you guys as like, wow, these guys are the rock and roll players, man. They're having fun and touring the world and drinking beer. But the reality of it is, you know what? It's the business end. And like you hear all the time, like you're a young guy in the 80s and stuff like that. Maybe you're not thinking about the legalities of all these little things. And here they are. 30 years later and if it's not done properly and you don't have the proper management it could come back and bite you in the ass yeah i mean it would be nice to to be able to just make music and 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 live off that but for the longest time you know we couldn't and i think that's what wound up 
probably getting us into the fights or whatever towards the end of me being with them. But I, you know, I come to find out in the past year, year and a half that there was even more money that got stolen from us from John Zazula and Atlantic Records. So if we were getting the money that we should have been getting instead of him skimming off the top like he did, we may not have gotten into the fights that we did about money because we were on our fourth album and we're like, how are we not earning a paycheck yet? You know, we're, we're all over the place. The album's selling great. Yeah. You told us it sold 140000 in the first week. And it's like, I'm still living at my parents' house. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of people, you know, a lot of fans, they didn't understand that. But, I mean, regardless, we cherished them. I still do. I love going out and 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 talking to to kids, fans, whatever. Half of them are the same age as me now, and uh, I mean it's it's just like a huge metal family. Like you know, a kid, uh, guys are coming in with their kids now to the show. Let me ask you: What was the last time you were surprised that maybe some twelve-year-old kid met you and said, "Oh, fucking taking over is my favorite," or I like years of decay, or just you were just surprised that. 40 years later, you're still affecting, touching. It, it, it happens every day. It happens every day on Facebook. I get a message from someone who, you know, who who shows me taking over, you know, got it on the record player and he's listening to it. It happens. It happens all the time. All that in South America when I was there with violence, everyone had, you know, their early albums. So, so I was signing, you know, all my old stuff. And it, it's just amazing that it, it's, it stands the test of time. Forty years later, you know, kids are still getting into it. I mean, that's that. I love that. Uh, well, it's in the metal DNA. This metal community. You know, we have a running series on the show. It's called the History of Metal, and we started in the year nineteen seventy three, and we're up to the early nineties now. And it's just, it's just continuously exemplifying that it's our community. Yeah. You grew up in it. I grew up on it, and it's nice to see the young kids. So, Walt, parting shot. Uh, Bobby, before we let you go, and, and hey, this has been awesome, and I hope we can get back on with For you sure. later in the year when you announce your new band and your new project. But uh, I always had a curiosity on Overkill. Like, how did the band end up with the image of the green color, the green logo? See, that picture that you showed, we had the banner was in white. And we kind of came like rad, rad, Didi, whatever. Like we need a, a color. And we, we, we literally like, you could see a twisted sister shirt. Um, in a, in a dark club across the club, you could see that hot paint, that TS or whatever. You knew it was twisted sister. Mm. So they kind of thought, well, we need a color that you could do the same thing with. And there was the neon green. And there was that orange. And I'm the only one who liked the orange. Those three liked the green. So we went with the green and it stuck with us. Then, oddly enough, we're playing the show at Lemoore's. Biohazard was opening. And he asked me the same exact question. He's like, well, how'd you pick the green? And I told him the same thing I just said. And I said, yeah, I was the only one who liked the orange. Next time I saw Biohazard, their logo was orange. I'm like, you son of a bitch. So I gave them their color. They won't admit it, but that's where they got that from. 
But yeah, you know, you see that that one color, and and you don't know, you don't you could be so far away that you can't even read it, but you know it's overkill. And, and then that's, that's out. where it came from. And I used to screen print the shirts right. down my parents' basement. The original Bill <laughs> shirts. That's awesome, Bob. Well, you know what? Like Walt said, when the new material comes out, we'll do this again and we'll be promoting it. And uh, thank you for uh, rescheduling this. We appreciate this. No problem. Like, like I told you with Walt, he really wanted to get on this. And whenever <laughs> it's a Jersey guy, he always like, you know, takes rank. He's like, Vern, it's Jersey, my area. And I'm like, okay, you're right. So thank you, man. Uh, yeah, we'll um, catch up a couple of months. I, I'll, I'll have some new news for you. Thanks, All Bobby. Right. See you, man. Thanks, man. Have Bye-bye. a good one. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.